Welcome to the Crossroad International Church Podcast. We're so glad you joined us. It is our prayer that God will use this message to bring comfort to those who are hurting, give hope to those who find themselves in what seems to be a hopeless situation, and to encourage the one who is struggling through a difficult season of life. For more sermon audio, resources, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit CICKuwait.com. We'd love to hear from you. Merlin, if you would come. I'm looking forward. This lady has blessed me for many years since I've been working in Kuwait. She is a faithful prayer warrior. And I, if, if she ever tells you I'm praying for you, you can be assured prayers are touching heaven on your behalf. This lady is a prayer warrior. So just stretch your hands out. I know she's a bit nervous today, so let's just pray for her. Father, I come to you and I lift my sister up and I just ask you to bless her and be with her. Father, we thank you for just opening your word up to us today through her on being able to boldly pray. And Father, we ask for just a quieting of your spirit, that you would give her words of wisdom and words of life to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Thank you, Pastor. Good morning, church. Yeah. Great is my admiration for our pastors, Pastor Steve and uh, Pastor Dell. They come to the pulpit with just their sermon notes, and uh, they give a message so confidently. But then last week, as I was preparing for this message, I mean, for some time I've been preparing for it, began writing down last week. It gave me so much, uh, what shall I say, comfort to know that uh, the late Peter Marshall, he, read, he wrote his sermons and read it out. It was such a comfort for me. You know, misery loves company. And uh, that is how I, I should be saying that. Nevertheless, then it dawned on me, it is the same God who anoints the speakers and the listeners by his Holy Spirit. And it is the same Spirit who ministers through the speakers and, uh, you know, like uh, ministers even to the listeners. And God's name is glorified, irrespective of how the message is given. To God be the glory. So the the message I have for you this day is about a facet of prayer, praying with boldness. So the scripture portion is uh, from Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. Uh, Before I read the scripture, I may have to give you a little summary about the whole thing, that how it comes to how it, it is a prayer and it is there in our bulletin. We can read the portion there. So Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31, is the first detailed recorded prayer of the truly missional New Testament church. The portion reveals to us the power of a praying church, a church that prayed boldly. Before I read the portion of scripture, let me summarize the events that led to the prayer. Peter and John healed in the name of Jesus, a lame beggar who sat beside the temple gate. All the people saw the healed man walking and leaping and praising God. 
people were astounded and a huge crowd gathered beside Peter and John. Peter saw this as his opportunity to give them the message of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Many of the people who heard the message believed it. The news reached the Sanhedrin, which was the highest ruling body of the Jews. Peter and John were taken to task and threatened with severe persecution if they ever spoke or taught in the name of Jesus again. This is the background. Now let us get to the text. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in the very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Peter and John bring to the early church this predicament. That is, the threat of the Sanhedrin with severe persecution if they spoke or taught in the name of Jesus. When they heard this report, interestingly, this is how the church begins to pray. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. Let me call to your attention to something significant here. Did you notice that before they asked God for anything, such as protection from the Sanhedrins, Sanhedrin, deliverance, guidance, anything pertaining to the situation they are in. They said their prayer in the context of the two great attributes of God, his sovereignty and the fact that he is creator. O sovereign God, creator of heaven and earth, let me say this. Prayer makes sense to a believer only if he accepts the undisputable truth that God is absolutely sovereign over all factors that have anything to do with the problem he confronts. In other words, only a sovereign God can make prayer sensible. What then do we understand by sovereignty? God's divine sovereignty means God is God. In fact, as well as in name, that he is on the throne of the universe, directing all things, working all things, as Ephesians 1.11 says, after the counsel of his own will. He is the most high God, 
the Lord of heaven and earth, subject to none, influenced by none, absolutely independent. God does as he pleases, only as he pleases, always as he pleases. None can thwart him, none can hinder him. We have his own word for that in Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? The point is that we most often do not see what God is trying to accomplish through the difficult times. The question we must ask ourselves in adverse circumstances is, do we believe God has the best interest at heart? It is indeed a tremendous show of our faith if we can get to the point where we expect no explanations and we do no complaining to accomplish his perfect will, only trusting him to work through even such situations where the heart is heavy, burdens are unbearable, and difficulties seem defeating. This is just a meager attempt on my part to bring before you at least a fragment of the amplitude of the sovereignty of our God. Now let us ask ourselves this question. Do we believe God is sovereign? And he has the last word on everything we face today and what we may face tomorrow. The early church knew this and they recognized that God is in charge of the situation. No matter what they faced, no matter how powerful the Sanhedrin was and how threatening they were against speaking and preaching in the name of Jesus. Coming back to Acts chapter 4, verse 24, the, believer, the believers acknowledged God as creator too. Blaise Pascal, the great French mathematician and Christian philosopher asks, why has God established prayer? And his own response to his question is profound and is much quoted. He says, God has established prayer in the moral world in order to communicate to his creature the dignity of causality. In simpler terms, it means God has given to us the incredible privilege of partnering with him in creative activities through prayer. A further paraphrasing of Pascal's statement means, when we pray, God causes things to happen. The believers said their prayer on these two great attributes of God, his sovereignty and the truth that he is creator. Well, they continued. Let's look at verse 25. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. You will now see that the church at this point brings the God of revelation into the picture. God who spoke. The opening lines of this prayer are in fact from Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. A little background of that psalm is helpful. The psalm refers to a difficult time in King David's life when he was hemmed in by formidable opposition that were numerous and powerful, angry and determined, strategic and united against him. The church that was in prayer recalled that such was the Sanhedrin they faced. 
numerous and powerful, angry and determined, strategic and united against them. Nevertheless, they gravitated to that part of verse 1 of Psalm 2, which says, why do they waste their time with futile plans? Just as King David knew that the concerted attack of the warring kings against him, God's own anointed, is futile and a waste of time, and it would be wiser and more sensible for his enemies to make with peace with him while the opportunity was available. The church, too, that had gathered for prayer knew from examples in scripture that any opposition, even the most formidable one, against God's servants is futile and a waste of time and will not accomplish its purpose. Well, are they ready yet to ask God for something now? No, not it. Let's come to verse 27. Let's read it. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. Let us remember at this point that what God spoke about Jesus through the mouth of King David thousand years ago had only just been confirmed at the time of this formidable incident through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, the true son of David too, had faced formidable opposition. Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the angry Gentiles and Jews. Opposition that were numerous and powerful, angry and determined, strategic and united against him. However, what does verse 28 say? Let us read it. But everything they did, that is what the opposition did to Jesus, was determined beforehand according to your will. This means that the opposition of wicked men to Jesus was a part of God's sovereign plan, accomplishing what he had foreordained before, long beforehand. As John Piper says, God is not a fortune teller, a soothsayer, a mere predictor. He doesn't have a crystal ball. He knows what's coming because he plans what's coming and he performs what he plans. Isaiah chapter 46 verse 10 says, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. God used the formidable opposition to Jesus to accomplish his purpose of bringing salvation to mankind through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Let us forever remember, not a creature in the entire universe has an atom of power other than what God delegates. Power belongs to God inherently. Coming back to Acts chapter 4, does the early church see a formidable problem anymore? No. They are confident in that God is sovereign. Beyond the shadow of a doubt, they know that when they pray, God will cause things to happen. He has spoken to them from his word, and he has the power to accomplish what he has purposed. The battle is the Lord's, and the victory is assured. With this understanding, do they at this point pray for some level of safety or protection against the Sanhedrin? No. Do they ask for God's vengeance against their opponents? Uh, they ought to be free from all suffering and adversity? No. Look at what their faith declares by prayer. Verses 29 and 30. And now, O Lord, 
hear their threats, that is the Sanhedrin's threats, and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In essence, they ask God to empower them by his grace to continue with boldness the ministry God has called them to. They ask the Lord to confirm their work with his stamp of approval so that his name is glorified. And what was the result of the prayer? Verse 31. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Do we have any doubt on God's having answered that very first recorded prayer of the truly missional New Testament church? No, we don't. Why? We are the living proof of the answer to that first prayer. In fact, we are the witnesses of it. In other words, the bona fide proof is in this very room. Think of it with me for a moment. Aren't we here 2,000 years later, a body of believers in Jesus Christ gathered from the four corners of the world, celebrating Jesus in songs of praise to him, praying and preaching in the very same name, Jesus, that the formidable Sanhedrin had forbidden. The difficulties we face in life may be humongous, assuming enormous sizes and proportions. The mountain-like opposition we confront in our jobs and ministries may be massive, casting dark shadows that hide our way forward. The day-to-day -day battles we wage, both within and without, and against health issues, job issues, visa problems, unjust sponsors, financial crunch, family issues like single parenting, loneliness, a rebellious child, the list goes on may be enormous. Let faith rise in us to say, what are you mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Christ is our Zerubbabel. Mountains of difficulty we face cannot stand in his way, for our absolute surrender is to him. Our trust is in him. Our allegiance is to him. Our battles belong to the Lord, and he will lead us to undoubted victory. If we pray this way, are we always guaranteed results? Of course, something dramatic happened when the early church prayed. The place they were in was shaken. The people were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word with boldness. However, let us always remember this important truth. Prayer is fundamentally not about getting answers, but a consistent, persistent prayer life changes us and transforms, transforms us beyond recognition. As Corriton Boom says, we must be ready to take part in God's work on behalf of the people for whom we pray. Prayer and communion with God are God's gift to us. God answers all prayers according to his will for our good. At this time, I remember an incident I read about Irene Webster Smith, who was an Irish missionary who began her ministry in Japan before World War I. At first, she ministered to fallen women and later began to adopt unwanted babies who otherwise would be trained as geisha girls. She not only rescued these girls, but she also taught them to live with daily faith. The Japanese called her sensei, 
meaning teacher. Irene was a woman of strong faith in God, and nothing ever got in her way in prayer if she believed it is God's will. This story I'm going to narrate called Moving uh, a Mountain by Faith is recorded in William and Randy Peterson's book, 100 Amazing Answers to Prayer, a book endorsed by Dick Eastman, Elizabeth Sherrill, and Bill Bright. Irene's home for the girls was called Sunshine Home, which may have been appropriate if a mountain hadn't blocked the sun for much of the day. One day, an impoverished mother came to the home with her four children, the youngest a baby with tuberculosis. Her husband had been killed in an earthquake. Sunrise Home wasn't designed for families, but Irene made an exception and took in the needy bunch. Since the baby needed medical attention, he was taken to a sanitarium. However, the baby grew weak with each passing day, and the doctor at the sanitarium wanted to reunite the baby with his mother. Besides, the fresh air at Sunrise Home would do him good. But the baby also needed sunlight, and the mountain was in the way. Irene told the children the predicament, and one said, we can take the mountain ourselves, one shovelful at a time. But their little shovels hardly dented the mountain. One day, Irene was asked to meet with the head of her mission, who was in another city. Almost as an afterthought, she suggested that they pray for, about the mountain before she left. One girl prayed boldly, Lord Jesus, last Sunday we heard in Sunday school that if we had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, we could remove mountains. Lord, help us remove our mountain. Another prayed, Dear God, you said we could move a mountain into the sea. Here the sea is just across the road. Will you please take our mountain and put it into the sea? The meeting with the mission director lasted longer than Irene had expected. Yet in her absence, the children continued with their shoveling. Then one day, Irene received a postcard from the children saying, when are you coming back? Hurry, we have a surprise for you. When she returned home, the children led her to the front yard and said, look, Irene couldn't believe it. The mountain was nowhere in sight. The children excitedly told her that the preceding week, a truck filled with workers had come up the hill. Without a word, the workers swarmed over the mountain with pickaxes and shovels, loading the dirt onto the truck. Truckload after truckload was carted away. Finally, when asked by an assistant, the supervisor replied that they needed to fill in some land to make a children's playground where the sea had receded. So the mountain had been used for the fill. The Lord answered their prayers, and as it often happens, he provided even more. He provided the children with a playground. Also, the following week, the little baby with tuberculosis was reunited with his mother in the sun-bathed sunrise home. Jesus, predicting his suffering and death, says in John 12, 27 and 28, Right now, I am storm-tossed. What am I going to say? Father, get me out of this? No, this is why I came in the first place. I will say, Father, put your glory on display. Let this be our prayer too. In all we go through, Father, put your glory on display. May I conclude with a favorite quote from Charles Spurgeon. 
I may be called to stand where the thunderclouds brew, where the lightning plays, and tempestuous winds are howling on the mountaintop. Well then, I am born to prove the power and majesty of our God. Amidst dangers, he will inspire me with courage. Amid toils, he will make me strong. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you, and God bless you. Thank you very much. Hallelujah. I love that story of the kids praying in the mountain being removed. Uh, we had a story of like that in East Africa. There was a lady that had inherited some land, but it was all mountain, and there was no place for her to plant crops or anything. And she gave her heart to the Lord, and she went to church, and one day the pastor preached on this passage that if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can speak to the mountain, and it will be removed. So after service, she came to the pastor, and she said, Pastor, do you believe what you just preached? He said, well, of course I believe what I preached. She said, would you come to my house tomorrow for lunch? He said, yes. So he showed up at the house the next day. And before they ate, she said, Pastor, you see this mountain? We need to get rid of it. So would you pray that this mountain would be removed because you preached yesterday and you said you believed what you preach. So pray for this mountain to be removed. Sometimes God really checks up to see do we really believe what we preach. So he prayed and told her you just need to claim that mountain to be removed. So every morning when she would wake up, she would open the draperies in her sitting room and she would point at that mountain and say, mountain, you must go. And she did that every day for months and months. And then one day, like in this story, a car came driving by and stopped at her house and said, Ma'am, we're building a new road through this area, and we've been doing a geological survey, and the rock that we need for the foundation of the road can only be found in this mountain on your property. Would you let us buy the rock for you, from you, and we will blast the mountain, we will haul it out, and we will cover the space left over with topsoil so you'll be able to have a garden and those kinds of things. So for the next several months, they came in with dynamite and jackhammers and all of this and totally took away the whole mountain, filled in all of the topsoil. And the next morning, she woke up like she had been doing for months, and she opened the draperies. And she pointed and said, Mountain, I told you you were going to have to go. So let me ask you this morning, what mountain are you facing in your life? And are you looking at the size of the mountain or are you looking at the size of your God? See, too many times as Christians, we complain to God about how big our problem is when we should be declaring to our problem how big our God is. Because He is sovereign. And He is the creator of the universe. 
the worship team would come up. We want to sing that last song again. But as they're coming, I just want to pray for you. Father, we come to you today and we just thank you for this wonderful word on praying with boldness and praying in faith. Father, so many times in our human frailty, we forget about how big you are and we concentrate on the size and the difficulty of our problem. Father, we thank you that you are a God of the impossible. Maybe the doctor has told us that this situation is incurable, it's impossible. Or maybe the banker said this venture that you've gone into is impossible. Or maybe you've been told at work that we can no longer have your position. And you're looking at what seems to be an impossible situation, a mountain that is unscalable. But we serve a God who does miraculous things. So, Father, we ask right now that you would be with every person in this building today. That, Father, you would be with them, that you would lead them, and that you would guide them. And, Father, help every one of us to concentrate on you and to look fully into your wonderful face. Because, Jesus, when we see you, all of the distractions of this earth, all of our problems seem to disappear in the light of your glory and your grace. And Father, as we sing this song once again, let each one of us just to make it our own prayer and our own declaration today of how great your love is. We give you the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.